Um, we're looking at the sixth seal. There is a seventh and final seal uh, we're going to look at in the future. And the seventh seal, uh, at least according to chapter 8, begins like this. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Silence. The seventh seal may be the, the big crescendo. Everything might be building up to the seventh seal, and then there's silence. It may be like um, a concert where there's silence before the main event. Or it may be like um, the people waiting for to hear the king's speech. They're waiting in anticipation, and there's silence. Um, uh, someone this morning told me to do a Marvel illustration, so I'm going to do a short one. But maybe like when Avengers 2 came out, everyone's in the theater. When the movie starts, you're just like silent. Silent before the premiere. Silent before this big thing, big event. Before this seventh seal, and that's what we're going to look at, within the sixth seal, we see not silence, but a, a celebration. The loud celebration. Loud noises. So if we took our illustrations, it's like everyone in the audience is applauding, so excited about the main event. It's like the people of the king celebrating as he walks to the stand to make his speech. It's like the people in the movie theater just talking, excited, waiting in anticipation for the premiere. That's what we're going to look at today. The end of the sixth seal. So before we read God's word, let's pray and ask for his blessing. Our Father in heaven, you are so good. You have been so good to us. Faithful throughout every step of, of the way of our lives. We have not been so to you, yet you've been steadfast. You've been patient and kind, merciful. You have disciplined us when necessary as a father disciplines his children. Father, we just want to say thank you. And even yet, it's not enough for what you have done and what you continue to do. We are especially mindful of how you sent your son. Thank you. Father, at this time, we do recognize that we're coming before your word. And since it is your word, it is divine, it is weighty, it is glorious. And it's interesting, many times that we read it, it goes by our head. It passes by. Maybe it's because we can't withstand its glories. So Father, at this time, we ask that you would be with every one of us here, everyone on the live stream, that you would help us to bear the weight of the glory of your word even just a fraction of it. That you would use me as an instrument for this purpose, that your word will be clear and bold and at the same time gentle, and that we would adore you all the more, that you would captivate us and you will have our attention. Father, would you help us in this way? For your glory and our enjoyment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. Again, I want to remind you that this is God's word. Hear now God's word. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne 
and to the Lamb. And the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Christ. Sometimes I get emotional reading this. This is God's word. This is the conclusion of the sixth seal. This is the ending. Um, There's three things that I want to say. If you don't like those three subtopics, you can throw them away and then cling to the word of God. But I divided it into relationship. What's the relationship between God and all of his creatures? And then the reason for that relationship and then the response. Relationship, reason, response. But if you don't want that, throw it away. And I tried to think of one word that would summarize this passage. And the best word that I can come up with is worship. Worship. They worship God for who he is and what he has done. That's what happens before the seventh seal, before that silence. They worship God. Worship. So let's dive right in. If you look at verse 9, this is what the Apostle John said. He says, After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Um, This is not the main point. This is a secondary point. But I just want to say this and kind of push this aside. Maybe you can use this verse, maybe for evangelism and missions, that every person matters. Every person matters. Maybe you can say that. So if you want to take this text and use it to evangelize, that's fine. But it's not the main point, secondary point. Here's another secondary point. Unity. Unity. There's people from all over the world. And they're unified. For one, there's this bond that's so strong that it overwhelms and overcomes all their differences. No matter what. No matter what tribe they're in, no matter what people group they're from, no matter what language they're in. Unity. And what's that? What's the combat? God and the Lamb. That's a secondary point. But with that secondary point, I want to say this real quick. If you are disunified with anyone that is a brother or sister in Christ, it is not allowed. It is not allowed. Why? Because when you stand before God, God is so much better. Whatever that difference, discrepancy is, it is so minor before God Almighty. I'm not saying it's a small thing in your life, but before God, it's so small. They're from everywhere. And they're all unified. Why? Because of God and the Lamb. 
Secondary point. What's our main point? Worship. Worship. I want to talk about at the end of verse 9, I'll mention this real quick. There's that palm branches in their hands. What is that about? There's two main interpretations of that. The first one is Greek custom. The second one is Jewish custom. Greek custom, palm branches was a sign of victory. Winning. Jewish customs in the Old Testament, there was something called the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. Long story short, the Israelites were delivered from Egypt and then they lived in maybe tabernacles or booths, maybe made out of palm branches. Celebration. God has saved palm branches. But all these people, for some reason, are gathered together. And how many people are there? Innumerable. What happens if you try to count them? You cannot. There are so many people. If you had a stadium, you would need an infinite stadium. That's how many people there are. And what are they gathering here for? What's the purpose? If you look at verse 10, here's what it says. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. At center stage is the God and the Lamb who saves. That's why they're here. And what are they doing? They're crying out with a loud voice. They're not, they're not like, salvation, yeah. They're crying out. Why? Because at center stage is something so grand that it arouses them, it evokes them, it makes them muster all the strength in their bodies and their muscles and cry out with a loud voice. They're not distracted by their neighbors. They're not telling their neighbors, hey, why don't you quiet down? They don't care about the volume. At center stage is something so lovely, they're not annoyed by anything else. At center stage is something so grand that all these other distractions are too trivial to matter. At center stage is something so amazing that they don't care if they're embarrassing themselves. It's almost as if they cannot contain themselves and they're crying out. Why? Because at center stage is God and the Lamb who saves. That's who He is. But that's not all that's happening. If you look at verse... 11 and 12, it says, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It's a two-part applause. If you imagine an infinite stadium filled with innumerable people from everywhere, closer to the center of the stage are these angels. And the people are saying, salvation belongs to our God. And these angels are saying, amen, and attributing to God seven doxologies. Two-part applause. And what do they do? They fall on their faces before God. Why? Because at center stage is the God and Lamb who saves. It's interesting because I may say a lot of things, so I'm going to try to be concise because there's a lot in this text and I don't want to share everything, but it's interesting because the people are about salvation and these angels are about His power, might, glory. And this two-part applause. What, how is this relevant to us? For these people, dressed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, at center stage was something that just captivated them. 
And it wasn't like it captivated them a little bit. It captivated them so much, they're willing to lose themselves. Be embarrassed. To shout. If you imagine an introvert there, even that introvert would have shouted with a loud voice. At center stage was something that demanded their everything. It was God and the Lamb who saves. What about the angels? At center stage was something that caused angels to fall on their faces and worship. God and the Lamb who saves. So how is this relevant to us? The more appropriate view of God that we have and the more appropriate relationship to God that we have, it should cause us to give Him our everything and to fall on our faces and worship. But we all fall short of that. I didn't fall on my face there. I was tempted because I preached this in the morning. I was like, I gotta fall on my face. I gotta fall on my face. Why? Because God is so much better. God is so much better than what I think about my neighbors looking at me. God is so much better than what I think about my voice when I sing. God is so much better. And I feel like for most of us here, there's this disconnect with this view of God and our view of God. We believe in God. We believe in the gospel. We believe in what he has done. We believe he's good. But I'm not, I don't want to fall on my face. I don't want to shout loud. It's, it's just uncomfortable for me. What's with that disconnect? And I think the disconnect, let's talk about the angels. How the angels fell on their faces was with seven attributes. And that was enough. That was enough. The character of God was enough for them to fall on their face. What about the people? Salvation was enough. The gospel of Jesus Christ was enough. Well, then why is there this disconnect between them and me when I know salvation, when I know the character of God? I think it may be just knowing it better. They saw God right there, center stage. For us, we have a better relationship with other things, other people, games, laptops, that God starts to, we don't, we don't see God as he ought to be seen. So what's, what are some things you can do? The ordinary things. Read the Bible. And when you read, don't, don't let it glance, don't glance over the words, but know who God is. Stay there and read about God and adore him. Pray and know who you're talking to. Not just your friend, but God Almighty. And I'm not going to say it's going to fix the disconnect, but I think the more you do that, the more you see who God is for who he is, the more that you'll be inclined to fall on your face and worship him and give him everything. Why? Because he's the God and lamb who saves. Worship him with everything. That's the relationship between God and his creatures. We're going to talk about why a little bit more, but I want to give you context. This is the sixth seal. That means there were five seals that happened before this seal. In the first five seals, it, they are terrifying. They are no jokes. In seal number one, great terror of God. Seal number two, great terror of God. Seal number three, great terror of God. Seal number four, great terror of God. Five, and even the beginning of six, great terror of God. In seal number six, what happened was people went to these mountains and caves and they 
They ask, they wish that these mountains will fall on them and kill them lest they bear the wrath of the Lamb. That's how terrifying it was. When Jesus came first, he came to save, but when Jesus comes next, he comes to judge. And that's what it was. Great terror of God. God was unraveling, undoing everything. Remember the writers? Uh, there was that white writer with, I think it was a bow. Um, there was another writer uh, who created famine. Another writer who was permitted to take peace from the earth and let people slay each other. Another writer uh, who had authority over a fourth, was it a fourth or a third of the earth? I can't recall properly. And then the fifth seal, there were these soul slains under the altar and they're crying out to God, avenge our blood from those who dwell on the earth. And the sixth seal, fall on us. Like, I don't want to see the lamb, just let me die. Terrifying. What, what did the seals show us? That God never, ever took sin lightly. That he was always a just and holy God. And he was maybe even more just and more holy than we could have conceived. Because that is terrifying. That's the context, right? Now, this is the revelation of, Apostle, uh, of Jesus given to Apostle John. And Apostle John is giving it to the church. Imagine the church reading this letter. They're going and reading, and they read seal number one. And they're like, oh my, oh my God. God is terrible. Seal number two, seal number three, seal number four, seal number five, seal number six. And they're just like, what are, you, what are we going to do? I know, I know I'm a sinner. I know I believe in Jesus, but, but what if I don't believe enough? Like, what if, what if it was just a fake belief like i'm gonna die this is terrifying and they're reading the seals scared and then as they continue to read seal number six pastor john preached on this last week all this terror is happening and god sends an angel and angel says everyone stop what you're doing pause why pause because we are going to mark and seal God's people. And they go mark and seal God's people. Okay. And then they say, now, don't touch these marked ones. They come out unscathed, unharmed. And the people reading this letter, they're like, God remembers me. He is true to his promises. That's what they would have seen. Not evangelism, although that's important. Not unity, although that's important. But God, and they would have fell in worship. What's the reason for this? Look at verse 13 and 14. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So I want to address two quick things, get them out of the way. I don't know how this dialogue went. I don't know if this is humorous. I don't know if one of the elders are like, hey, who are these guys? And the Apostle John's like, oh, God, sir, you know, you know. It's like, yep, I do know. I don't know if that's how it went. I don't know if this is a Mr. Miyagi thing where he's like, who are these? And he's drawing him out and saying this. I don't know how that went, that conversation went. I can't hear it in my head. But that's not clear to me. And then the great tribulation, here's something not clear. I don't know when that happened. There, I don't get any clues from our text. The Great Tribulation could have been the first century church in 70 AD when there was the siege of Jerusalem and the Romans conquered. Maybe it's that. 
Maybe the great tribulation is the year 2020, year 2021, year 2022 when the pandemic hit the world. I don't know, but I know it was a great tribulation. For some of you, maybe great tribulation is like, oh, my spouse. Oh, great tribulation. My children, my friends. Oh, they're, they're a great tribulation. If that's you, I would say, I don't think that's likely because you can count how many spouses you have and these people are a great multitude. But maybe it's all the married people, all the single people. I don't know. It's not so clear to me. But here's what's clear. These people are coming out of great tribulation and they're coming into something. They're coming out of one state and coming into another state. They're coming out of the great tribulation and they're coming into being dressed in white robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. Let's assume that this was to the first century church, the the people who would have gotten this letter first. I don't know if you know about what happened in 70 AD, and I don't know all the details, but I know some things. Josephus gave an account of that. He said at 70 AD, or approximately there, over one million people died, were slayed, and most of them were Jews. 90,000 people were captured and enslaved. And here's another quote from him. I'm kind of butchering it, but he said, after the Romans did all that, there were there was no one left to slay. So for the first century church, the great tribulation would have been that. And it says it's a great tribulation. It's not an ordinary tri- tribulation. It's a great one. A great one. It's not like their circumstances were convenient. It was far worse than just not convenient. It's not like their sufferings were just difficult. It was far worse than difficult. Maybe it's appropriate to say it was unbearable. It was a great tribulation. Their suffering was real, raw, hard, and maybe continuous. That's the state they're coming out of. From great loss to great victory. From great suffering to great peace. To great tribulation to great blessing. And if this is the first century church reading this, imagine what they're hearing as people are being slain in the streets right outside their church. As babies are being dashed against the walls. And they hear this. How did this transition happen from great dishonor and shame into great glory? The Apostle John gives us a little hint, and that's all he says. It's at the end of verse 14. He says, in the blood of the Lamb. That's all he says. For the Apostle John, that was sufficient. In the blood of the Lamb. He didn't think it necessary to write anything else. In the blood of the Lamb. They got from here to there in the blood of the Lamb. What does that mean? Another way of saying that is via the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus was enough was enough what do you mean was enough for all of them who are coming out of the great tribulation you're telling me it was enough for them while people are dying and being murdered on the street it was enough you're telling me it was enough for them while their babies are being dashed against the wall and dead it was enough for them what the gospel and if it's enough for them in that in those dire situations how much more will it be sufficient for us in all of our situations? But here's what the Apostle John didn't say. 
They didn't get from here to there, out of great tribulation into the state of glory by in their performance, in their diligence, in their bloodshed. They didn't avenge themselves. They didn't go take a sword and go fight. They died. It wasn't in their church going. It wasn't in their Bible reading. It wasn't in their fasting and praying, in their service, in their missions. There is one thing that got them from this state to the other state, and that's the blood of the Lamb. So how did they get there? It probably means this. They trusted in Jesus Christ all the way through. No matter what, they trusted him all the way through. All the way through. No matter what. What is the, what's the point of the blood of the Lamb? I'll give a quick summary. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have sinned against each other, and more importantly, we have sinned against God. Some of us have sinned more obviously than others. What does that mean? According to the Bible and according to God, the judge, his standards, we all deserve to die for the wages of sin is death. Our blood needs to be shed. Because he does not take sin lightly. He is God Almighty, king on his throne, and we messed with him. And how many times did we sin? Every day. What do the seals tell us? That he doesn't take it lightly and he is terrifying. Our blood needs to be shed, but the good news is this. Yet God sent his son for his blood to be shed instead of yours if all you would do is believe in him. Find your sufficiency in him. Trust in him. And let him take your sins from you. And that gospel was enough for them. I feel like there's another disconnect here. I know myself and I know talking to people. We do this all the time. Like, hey, I have this conflict with somebody, blah, 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 Sally, Bob, A, B. And then, and then you go talk to Pastor John. It's like, oh, this person, blah, blah. Pastor John's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I have the first thing to tell you. Okay, yeah, first thing, yeah, first thing. Tell, tell me what to do. Let me tell you about the gospel. Oh, I, I get that. Let me, what's, what's next step? There is no next step for these guys. It was sufficient. Yeah, okay, I get, I get it's sufficient, but like, I, need, I need some practical stuff here. The gospel is as practical as it could be. Maybe we don't know how, but it was sufficient. If that's you today, and maybe you're going through something, you're like, okay, what do you mean by that gospel? It's just some concept in my head. I don't know how that affects my neighbor and me and my relationship. You can talk to me. You can talk to Pastor John. You can talk to your church members. I'll give you one practical scenario so that you can see the gospel is relevant everywhere. Let's pretend that someone offended you and you are tempted to unleash your rage against that person through your words. How is the gospel relevant now? The gospel will tell you How many times have you offended God? What are your wages and debt to Him? Countless. What did God do for you? He forgave me. Did God condemn you? No. Did God unleash His rage against you? No. He did it against the Son. What did God do for you? He forgiven me in Christ Jesus. What ought you do? What ought you to do for your neighbor? If God has done that for you, you would forgive. And maybe you don't forgive. Maybe you unleash your anger on that person. How is the gospel relevant then? The gospel will tell you, confess your sins and be forgiven. 
and then go on in the in light of grace and grow in that. Next time, don't do that. Gospel is enough from getting to here to there. The blood of the Lamb. So what's their response to this? Let's look at verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. That's their response to who God is and what he has done. I think some of us, when we read this, we're probably like this. Serve him day and night, like all the time. Come on. That's a lot. Like, no basketball? There's got to be basketball. No movies? Come on, a little break from movies. Serve him day and night, like nonstop. That seems kind of mundane. I want to give you an illustration. I tried to understand this better, and I don't think I could do it justice, but here we go. I'll give you one illustration, I'll give you another one. I'll try to give you another one after that. Imagine a teenage boy, and he sees this woman, and he has a crush on her. He, he's like, man, I want her. I want her. She's the one. Yeah, 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 she's, she's perfect. Good. Oh, that's amazing. What's her last name? I don't know, but she's perfect. I know she's the one. She's the one. Get her name. Get her last name. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do so much more. What are you going to do for her? I'm going to do everything. I'm going to serve her day and night. What drives him to do that? Maybe it's his hormones. Or maybe it's love. But the thing is, I don't think love is enough here. Now imagine all those movies, sitcoms, stories you've seen, especially of Jesus Christ, where there's this noble sacrifice for people who don't deserve it. And you see that person giving up his or her life. If it's like one thing that hurts, like that hits home is like parents. Um, I'll give another movie reference, A Quiet Place. If I'm going to spoil the movie. It's fine. Um, where the father gives up his life for his children. And when you see that, you're like, man, if there was another way. But at the same time, even though it's sorrowful, there's a little joy mix in that. Gratitude, thankfulness, relief that you are alive. So it's, just, it's not just love. There's that in there. But that's still not enough. Why? Because our story doesn't end there. Jesus didn't just die. He resurrected. So now there's excitement and joy. All these mixed emotions and feelings coming to fruition as they see God before him, before them, and they serve him day and night. Why? Because God is worthy of everything and so much more. That's why they can serve him all the time. Remember the first century church reading this? In their tribulation? Do you, I think what it would have done for them, it would not necessarily have stirred them to evangelize. It's good. It would not have necessarily stirred them to be united. It's good. I think primarily it would have said this. I know your life is terrible. I know your circumstances are dire. I know that's, that's real for you. And I know it's not easy and it's not small. It's big. But you know that God and his gospel is far bigger and you know that your hope does not fail and they would have read this and they would have said I want to see God I want to be dressed in white before him 
because his gospel is so good. Ah, getting emotional. All right, let's calm down. If you look at some of the byproducts, if you look at verse 15, it says, serve him day and night in his temple. But what happens after that? And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They are secure. Verse 16, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. They are safe. Verse 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. They will be shepherded. And he will guide them to springs of living water. They will be sustained. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You can see the first century church in their great suffering, hearing this and saying, man, I want that. I want that. But the things that were stated there, some of those things are just byproducts. They didn't think about, I don't think they thought about, oh, I'm not going to be hungry anymore. I'm going to have food all the time. I'm going to have drink all the time. That was a byproduct. What they thought about was verse 15 at the end, he who sits on the throne will shelter them. He's going to do that. Verse 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He's my shepherd. I get all of these things because of God and the lamb. It wasn't about necessarily the benefits they got from God and the lamb. It was about God and the lamb. Being with him was enough. It was more than enough. It wasn't about getting into heaven so that life will be good. It was about getting into heaven because they get to be with God. They want to be with him. So there is the relationship, the reason, and the response. This is what happens when Christians know their God and know his gospel. And this is what happens when Christians know their God and know his gospel more and more and more. They are more inclined to worship and give him everything. And even then, they'll know that after everything, it's not enough. I want to say one more thing, and then let's go into practical application. Remember, their tribulation was great. But do you see the state they're in now? It is as if their tribulation is no longer remembered. I'm not saying they don't remember it. But I'm saying in the grandeur of God, it's so small. Because God is that grand. So where are some practical applications? Let's take the first chunk. Worship God with everything that you have. Worship God with everything that, well, I, I can't sing. You know God's better than, than your bad voice. Just sing. Just sing. Sing loud. Well, what, what if people look at me? God is better than your neighbor. Just sing. Shout. Worship God with everything that you have. Um, I'm going to tackle something that sinners like to do. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but, worship God with everything that you have. Go read the Bible. But Pastor Kevin, I've been so busy this week. Okay, okay, you tried? Yeah, I tried, I've been busy this week. Okay, okay, let's try, let's see next week. Okay, I'll try next week. Next week comes, how'd you do? I've been so busy next week. Okay, okay, but you're trying to love God with everything. Yeah, I'm trying. Okay, let's try it again. Next week after that, I've been so busy. What I would tell you was would be, it looks like you're busy. But here's something you know. Your busyness is no longer a surprise. It's not going to catch you off guard because you know you're going to be busy this week. Now, think about how you're going to overcome it. If you see a punch coming to your face all the time, think about how to duck. Right? I mean, if it's a surprise the first time, I understand. But it's not a surprise anymore. What we like to do is we like to say, but there's this and there's that. My voice, my neighbor, my insecurity. Okay, okay. 
But isn't God better than all of that? Doesn't he deserve everything? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, I know. There's a lot of problems. I get it. But God is worth pursuing solutions. God's worth everything. Right? Worship God with everything. Everything. If it's awkward for you, at least take that step in the right direction and exercise it and say, God, I don't sing, but I'll, I'll just say the lyrics out. Like, I'll just read them. And then next week, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to sing. And then week after that, I'm going to sing louder. Why? Because you're so much better than even me. I'm just not that important compared to you. Worship God with everything. That's number one. If you look at the second chunk, we see the gospel. They're made white in the blood of the Lamb. Trust in the gospel. If you don't trust in the gospel, your blood needs to be shed before God and you have no hope. The greatest hope for these people in great tribulation was the gospel. They had nothing other than that. They didn't need anything other than that. For all their relationships, all their tribulation, all their sufferings, gospel was enough. Trust in the gospel. Well, I don't know what that means. Well, start by trusting in the gospel. I don't know how that looks practically. Then talk to your neighbors. Talk to your Christian brothers or sisters. Talk to your pastor John or me. Get some counseling. We'll give you some practical advice that are biblical. But trust in the gospel. Gospel is so relevant every part of your lives. Trust in the gospel. Don't be one of those people who go to Pastor John's office and the first thing he says is, yeah, let me tell you the gospel. Yeah, I get the gospel, but what? What do I do after that? There is no after that. Gospel is all you need. Trust in the gospel. Trust in the good news. If you can help them in their dire situation, trust me, it can help you. Trust in the gospel. Third application, the third chunk. They are before the throne of God, serving day and night in his temple. They serve God all the time. All these things look like it's going to happen in heaven. But why not start now? Serve God in everything. How do I serve God in everything? Like, how do I serve God in my office job? Serve God by being the best steward you can be. Being the best worker you can be. That your boss will be pleased, but more importantly, God will be pleased. Serve God even when you're using your laptop. Don't do, don't do those things that are bad, sinful, or unnecessary. Be like, God, I'm going to use this tool for your glory. You are on my mind all the time. I want to please you. Serve God in your relationships. God, I know that what I'm going to say is bad, so I'm going to hold my tongue. I'm just not going to say it. Or God, I know that I can't control myself, so I'm just going to walk away. Or God, I know I see a neighbor in need, and I can fulfill it, and it's really inconvenient for me, but I know this is what you want, and what you want is what I want, so I'm going to serve my neighbor. In everything you do, whether you eat or drink, do to the glory of God. And if you don't know how, at least take the first step of thinking about how. Like, okay, how can I serve God? What would God want of me right now? Here's the last application. All this is anchored at, in what's at center stage. No matter what you try to do, and all these things, all this diligence won't work if you don't see what's at center stage. At center stage is the God and Lamb who saves. You need to see Him more. Behold Him. You don't need to earn His favor. You don't need to perform to a certain level. All you need to do is look at Him and trust in Him. And once you look at Him, you'll be like that teenage boy. Or more. Oh, I want to give Him everything. I wanna, I wanna give him. I want him. I want him. I got one last one. The third chunk, they love being in the presence of God. Love being in the presence of God. When you pray, I don't, Pastor Kevin, I don't know what to say when I'm praying. That's fine. Don't say anything. You don't need to say anything. You can just sit and be. Aware that you are in God's presence and just sit with him or kneel before him. God, I know you're here and that's good enough for me. 
requests are good, but just be with God. Be with God in your cell groups. When you're fellowshipping, like, I know God is in this group. With brothers and sisters, or with a non-brother or sister, I want to share the love of God with them. When you welcome people or newcomers and you welcome them with the love of God, you know that God is delighting in you. Be, love being in the presence of God. If that's hard for you, start somewhere. Take a first step. Read one chapter of the Bible and be like, God, I don't know what this means, but I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it and I'm going to stay here. I'm going to wait until I understand it. If I really try it and I don't get it, I'm going to call Pastor Kevin at 3 a.m. And he's not going to pick up. But I'm going to call Pastor John and he will pick up and he'll explain to me. I'm going to love you, God. I love you. Why? Because you are my everything. And somewhere along the line, we forgot that. But that's okay. Why? Because he's given us the good news. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word and the sixth seal, the conclusion before the seventh and the silence. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel of your son. Somewhere along the lines, everyone here, myself included, we're tempted to believe that you are not enough or that your gospel is not enough. God, we want to thank you for being so merciful to us and so patient with us. God, we want to be like those people in that infinite stadium crying out with a loud voice. And it's hard for us, some of us. It's uncomfortable for us. But God, we do know that we want to head in that direction. Or we do know that we want to want to head in that direction. We want to give you our everything because you are worthy of it all and so much more. God, please give us wisdom in these areas. Please teach us how. And if we can't help ourselves, will you help us and will you put us around people that will? Father, help us to love being in your presence. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for who you are and what you do and what you have done and what you will do. And as a response, we want to worship you. Thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.